Michelle and doing the Bible reading tonight. Um, not used to having a lead on this thing. Um, can you hear me? Am I on, boys? Okay. Um, so it comes tonight from 2 Chronicles, verses 1 to 12. It's called Jehoshaphat Defeats Moab and Am- Ammon. Or Amon? Amon. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, with some of the Meunites, came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague of famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. But now, here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance? Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but... Our eyes are on you. This is the word of the Lord. Evening, everyone. Evening to those at home. Let me reiterate some of what Pastor Charlie was saying about Kids Club. Encourage you tonight to have a look at the list out there. Most of the things are filled in, but they are still looking for 10 kilograms of... frozen sliced onions. I had a person come to me this morning, they were keen to do that, and they said, but we have one problem, our freezer is not big enough. To which I said, we have freezers here, don't we? Can we put them in there? So we'll contact those people and see if they'll buy those onions. Otherwise, Jeff has offered that he'll cut up 10 kilos and then we'll freeze it after that. No, he didn't. There's also three lots. We need 700 pikelets. And two people have already volunteered for that, so there are uh, four people have volunteered for it. So there are three spots where you can, uh, I guess it's the bought ones we're looking for. Or make them? Okay, whatever. A hundred, so you volunteer and you you cook a hundred of them or buy a hundred of them or whatever you want to do. Okay, so there's three spots of that. And of course, if you have a look at the prayer, there's prayer on site, but there's a prayer at home. Some folks are signing up for that. So if you'd like to have a look at that and see how you go, help out in any way that you possibly can. Um, The members meeting this afternoon, uh, Pastor Charlie was just a little bit uh, off. 
on that announcement, um, he said it went for 45 minutes. It didn't. It went for 40 minutes. Ah, sorry, that's wrong too. Beg as much as you like. The, um, the previous record was 40 minutes. This afternoon's meeting went for 39 minutes. Yeah, it was a great time. Some people who were there for the very first time as members of our church, and so that was great to see, and we did pass the budget, and all of the six reports, I think it was, were fully accepted, and, and so on. Enough of that, let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that we, your people, can gather together under the teaching of your word and under the encouragement of a worship team who so ably lead us into your very presence. We read about, Lord, that tonight in this passage of how you raised up people to lead worship and then you begin to work, you act through it in response to it. Lord, I ask that you might help us to learn from this passage, not just learn the story and enjoy it, but that we might learn some of the lessons, particularly the lessons you want for us personally to incorporate into our life. So teach us, speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Jehoshaphat is a very interesting character. If you haven't read his story, it's in four chapters in 2 Chronicles. This is uh, the last one of them. In Kings, he gets one chapter, 1 Kings 22, and he's mentioned only in about, I don't know, 10, 15 verses in that chapter. But when you get to the author of Chronicles, he suddenly gets four chapters. He was a good king in Judah, down south, uh, who had a heart for God. He was fully devoted to God and wanted to please him. In fact, in uh, chapter 17 of 2 Chronicles, you read about how he was sending out people, scribes and Bible teachers, to go to various towns and villages to teach the Scriptures to the people. He wanted to lead people back into a full relationship with God. Uh, and then later on it, in his life, he also uh, sent out priests and, uh, and others to try and likewise encourage people to turn away from the high places and worshipping idols and to devote themselves fully to God. So he did some great things. But he also, it's a great story, have a read of it, um, he made some blunders and God had to step in and rescue him. Uh, he married Ahab's daughter, that was a bad move that he shouldn't have done but he did and that led to an interesting story where he got set up by Ahab who was basically using him as a, a disguise to protect himself but he ends up getting killed. God intervened in his life and protected him miraculously just like he does in this chapter. And again, he went on to make some mistakes and God was with him through it all. So it's a great story in that sense because it's a reminder for us that as we follow God, things are not perfect and we don't always get it right. And even when we, at one point, he, he's about to go into battle and he wants to, he refuses to go until they consult God. And through a story, eventually a, a prophet tells them, don't go, it's going to be a disaster. And he ignores that and he goes. And it's in that context that God has to step in and perform a miraculous protection of him. Anyway, I commend the story to you because you'll learn a lot from him. And in this chapter, again, we have him in the process of learning some of these stories. So, let's, let's tell the story, but in the process, learn some lessons from it. I've called tonight's talk the last one in this 21 days of prayer. And yesterday was a great time. We had a, a lovely time and just being here and praying and praying through the station. So thank you, Pastor Charlie, and setting all of that up and whoever else was involved in doing that. Um, it was a significant time. 
So we're praying tonight, we're learning about praying for God to act. We've been praying for the harvest and for God to send out workers. We've been praying for God to uh, raise up labourers, um, praying for awakening and we're praying, uh, interceding for others. They're the sort of things we've been looking at over this time. I hope you can see this. That's not the next verse. They're in reverse order. Have I gone the wrong way? Just talk amongst yourselves. Oh, good, there's the conclusion. Yeah, put to God first, let's pray. Did you put that back to the beginning, Jeff? Thanks. Can you read that? After this, the Moabites, the Ammonites and some of the other Vegemites came to war against Jehoshaphat. Actually, the word for Meonites is disputed. You have a look in your Bible, we're not quite sure exactly who it is, but later on down in verse 10 and somewhere else, it'll talk about the people from Mount Seir. They're a mixed group. These Moabites, Ammonites and the Edomites are actually related to the Israelites. They're descendants of Lot or of Esau. And that's why when they came out of Egypt and they were coming up through their land, they said to God, you want us to go in and fight them? And God said, no, don't touch them. So they go around the border. And that's why Jehoshaphat plays in the middle of this prayer of, you know, we didn't hurt them when we left Egypt and came here. And now here they are wanting to come and hurt us and say, God, please do what you do. It's after this, after these things of what I told you before about how his life was going up and down and he's in a good place and then, which is worth being reminded of, that even when things are going well, eventually something's going to happen. You're going to find yourself in a battle. After every high, there's a, a low. After every mountaintop, there's a, a valley. After every victory, there's a, a letdown. Or a defeat. After every blessing, there's a testing. What goes up must come down. That's the life in this fallen world. So if you're in a good place now, rejoice, be happy and give thanks to God for it. If you're in a hard place now, then look to God. Through this, you'll learn some lessons about or reminders of what God wants us to do when we're in a bad spot. So he's certainly heading into a bad spot. Some people came, verse 2, and they told Jehoshaphat. So this army has crossed the Jordan, they've gone around the bottom of the Dead Sea and they're now starting to head north and some runners or some people who had seen this run up to Jehoshaphat to tell him three armies are coming, three to one. Uh, a vast army is coming against you from Edom and the other side of the Dead Sea and it's already at that place, En Gedi, down south. Um, they're getting closer. They're still some distance away but they're certainly getting close. Jehoshaphat's <laughs> response to that however you say his name, was alarmed, frightened, shocked, dismayed, whatever word you want to put in there. Um, we should never let situations of crisis when we get into them, not to intimidate us, this stuff's easy to say, but should motivate us to look to God, to pray more, to trust more, to expect more from God, to prioritise and to rely on God. If something's going wrong for you right now, if you're in some difficulty, then look up to God and say, Lord, what's this about? Are you trying to teach me something? Are you trying to correct in me something? Or is there some other bigger picture agenda going on here, as we'll see tonight, that there was for Jehoshaphat? God often does all of those things, all in the same experience. So always ask the question, um, if you're sick, instead of just recovering from it and taking your medication and moving on, just pause and ask, Lord, why am I sick? 
Is it very simply because, you know, I, I contacted germs from somebody who was infected and I got it from them, there's nothing more to it than I live in a fallen world? Or am I sick because you're trying to get my attention? You're trying to put me on my back so that I'll be alone and spending time with you. God does stuff like that as well. So not only Jehoshaphat's response to that is he's frightened, he's alarmed, but his response is to look to God straight away. He was resolved to inquire of God. God, what are you doing? What do you want us to do? Because as he'll say later on, I haven't got a clue what we should do. People of Judah came together with him to seek help from the Lord. So he didn't do it just by himself, but like we've done over the last 21 days, tried to encourage people to come together to pray. We think that's a biblical principle. And something happens when God's people gather together and pray in unity and seek his face. This is what they prayed. Well, before I go there, I should say this point. The lesson we get from that is we should always turn to God first. Not as a last resort but always as a first resort. Um, yeah. For that to be our response to whatever is going on, to pray, to seek God's face. And in this prayer of Jehoshaphat and these other people, there are some great lessons for us to learn. Look what he does. So he turns to God, looks to God first, and now he's going to talk to God. And there are three things to note in the prayer. In verse 6, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms and the nations, power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. He reminds himself of who God is. Are you not? Are you not the God who is ruler over all, and are you not the God who actually gave us this gift of this land, as he goes on, verse 7. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants who were before us, and you plonked us in this land, and we've built the temple, and now here we are. And if we ever get into a mess, you promise that if we come and stand before you and talk to you in prayer, pray, that you would listen, that you would help. Here we are, Lord. We have a problem. So we want you to do what you promised. Are you not? Did you not? Verse 12, will you not? Will you please step in, judge them? You act. Because he says, the end of verse 12, um, that we have no power to face this enemy. They outnumber us. We're scared witless. So those three things. When we come to God, remind yourself who God is in your life, who he is in himself, in his character. Remind yourself of what he has done, not just in the Bible, but in your life. How has he answered you before in the past? If you've got a journal or a prayer notes then, and you keep a record of them, then flip through that and encourage your faith to trust him. And then ask him specifically for what you need, as best you understand it. Be open, be honest, um, and vulnerable before him. The end of verse 12, he says, uh, for we have no power to face this vast army. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We're going to watch, Lord. We're going to expect you to respond in some way, and so we're looking to you. Um, and so on. And God does respond to that. Another principle in there, as I think maybe I've already said it, is he's pouring out his heart. He's being, he's telling God exactly how he feels. We're powerless. Um, so he's being honest, genuine, vulnerable, and specific. Sometimes when we pray, we are not honest. Sometimes when we pray, we're performing. 
So this chapter reminds us, in fact, all of Scripture reminds us, that when you pray, be honest, be genuine, from here. Mean it. If you don't mean it, don't say it. Don't pray it. Because God looks on the heart, not just on the words. Um, and bear in mind, God is the one who knows all about you in the situation that you're in. He sees the big picture, the end from the beginning. Uh, he knows what's going on and he's got his own agenda. And he knows you thoroughly. He knows how many hairs you have on your head. You don't know. He does. He knows all about you. He made you. Um, he's interested in every detail of your life. There's nothing that he's not interested in for you and about you. He genuinely, lovingly cares for you. You matter to him. He notices you, he knows you, and he loves and cares for you. So talk to him openly and honestly with whatever is going on in your life. If you're in a hard spot at the moment or whatever. If you're not in a hard spot at the moment, just wait. It'll come. If you're in a hard spot, this too will pass. And then you'll be in a good spot. And you just wait. Valleys, ups and downs. There's no plateau and there's no smooth ride from here to heaven. We live in this fallen world. What does God do? Well, God takes one of his prophets and he anoints him and this guy <coughs> speaks out. He says, listen, King Jehoshaphat, to all the... Uh, and everybody else who's here, this is what the Lord says to you. God speaks. We talk to him in prayer. God speaks to us. He speaks primarily through his word, the Bible. So read your Bible. And listen for what God will say to you, and he'll guide you. He also speaks through his spirit, prompting you, putting ideas into your head and heart. He speaks through other believers. He speaks through preaching. He speaks through podcasts. He speaks in all different sorts of ways. So listen, and God will respond and direct you. Don't be afraid. And there's a repetition, and I've found God does this with me, and I'm sure he does it with you too. He repeats himself to make sure we get it. Don't be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. The battle's not yours, it's mine. God's allowed this situation. He's the one who rules over the nations. He's allowed these three nations to come against Israel because he's got a plan. He's got an agenda and he's going to achieve something. And God is saying to uh, Jehoshaphat, I have allowed this, it's not your problem. I've allowed this for uh, this reason. I want you to learn about me and something else. And God tells him twice, tomorrow, not now, not this afternoon, tomorrow. So something's going to happen between now and tomorrow. Tomorrow, God says, I want you to march down to where they are. They will be here and you will find them there at the edge of the desert. You will not have to fight this battle. It's not your battle. Take your position, stand firm, see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Don't be afraid or be discouraged, says it again. Go out to face them tomorrow. The Lord will be with you. God is saying, there they are in the south. I want you to go tomorrow and march the army down and I want you to go to this particular cliff and when you get to that spot, there you will find them and they'll be in the wilderness in the valley below you. Go out, take your position, stand where I want you to be and you're not fighting, I'm going to do something, trust me. See how God works. Jehoshaphat's immediate response to that prophet giving God's response to him was he bowed down with his face to the ground and all of the people of Jerusalem who had gathered with him to pray in the temple likewise, they fell down 
I want you to notice that in verse 18, their position is on their knees or on their face. But look at verse 19. Some Levites, the Kohathites and the Korahites, they stood up. Praise the Lord. That's why we stand to sing. No, it's not, I made that up. <clears throat> but it's interesting, the postures, you see. The posture says something. It helps us in our connection with God. We stand to sing primarily because of a physiological reason, isn't it? You can breathe more deeply and sing, I think. And we do it out of habit. We do it because it's helpful. But it's also helpful sometimes to bow down low, to face down, to kneel. And none of those are mandatory, but they're helpful. And so here we find in Scripture that's exactly what's happening. And right at the end it says they praise the Lord. They've, God has responded to them and they are just on cloud nine and with a very loud voice they're saying, thanks God, this is wonderful and scary. Next day, early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa, going south. <clears throat> and as they set out, Jehoshaphat takes them aside and he says, listen to me, have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you'll be successful. Trust and believe what God said to us. And if we trust him in what he has said to us and obey whatever it is he says to us, then we'll be successful then we'll be uphill. God will achieve his purposes. That's a great lesson, isn't it? Turn to God, tell God, talk to him and tell him exactly what's going on. Remind yourself of who he is, of what he's done and then tell him exactly what you would like him to do. Submissively, your will be done, not mine. And then listen for whatever God says to you and trust him. And then obey him. Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness, for who he is. And they went out at the head of the army. So you've got the Israelite army from Judah heading south, and who's in the front? The worship team. I think that's appropriate, don't you? I think we should put the singers and the band out front. Adam, lead the way, mate. You guys did a great job tonight too, by the way. It's very, very good. Um, this, I think, is a demonstration both of Israel trusting God but communicating something to those to whom they were going towards, to those who were watching, to the people as they went through the villages and the towns as they headed south. You know, they went out south, they go down past Bethlehem through the shepherd's field, they keep going south past Herod's where he would end up, Herodian, and... Uh, they come eventually to the cliff of Zis, and down there they can see this wilderness, this large valley, which will become known as the Valley of Jehoshaphat. And when they get there, because they're singing praises and stuff, verse 22 tells us, as they began to sing and to praise, as they're responding to God, the Lord set ambushes. God responded, God acted in response to his people, and he does with us. And God sent ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading and they were defeated. <coughs> this is interesting. The Ammonites and the Moabites, who don't like the people from Mount Seir, joined forces and attacked the people from Mount Seir, destroyed them and annihilated them. And then when they did that, they looked at each other and said, we don't like you either. And so they slaughtered each other and everybody died. Hundreds of thousands of soldiers. 
When the men of Judah came to the place, they overlooked the desert and they looked towards the vast army. What did they see? Only dead people lying on the ground. No one had escaped. Why did God do this? Well, certainly to encourage faith and that he is a God of his word and when he gives his word, he acts. God said to them, go stand on that spot and watch what I do. It's a challenge for us, isn't it? Here is the wider picture. Oh, I jumped over something. I didn't put these verses in. If you read through the scriptures in verses uh, 25, 26, 27, around there, the Israelites actually go down to all of the dead bodies. And when they get there, they find they've got jewellery on, they've got um, necklaces on, they've got really nice clothes. These guys have come out with all of their paraphernalia. They've got their wallets full and their credit cards, everything. And the Israelites plunder the bodies. And there is so much plunder, it takes them three days. So they grab all the loot, the gold and the credit cards and the car keys and everything else, and they take it back. Then they come back again and they do it again. They take it back and then they come back again and do it again. What are the Israelites experiencing and learning through all of this? He's a God who provides abundantly, isn't he? When he wants to, he can open the heavens and pour out a blessing. But there's something else. God's agenda, and this is where the prayer bit comes in so powerfully for us, I think. The fear of the Lord came upon all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard that the Lord had fought against the nation. That's God's agenda. I'm going to do something with you, my people, and the others are going to hear about it. And I want them to know that there is a God in heaven and that he is real and that he listens and that he acts and he keeps his word. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace for God had given him rest on every side. He went into a good time. And as you read on, well, stuff's up again and something goes wrong. But on the whole, he ends, you know, high marks of being someone fully devoted to God. So what do we get out of all of this as our reminder about us to pray? A long, long time ago, 35, 40 years ago, we had a a visiting speaker, an evangelist, come from England to our church. And he's only a little guy. And he told a very true story of how he got on the plane. And he's not good at flying. But he thought, I'm just going to help the pilot get the plane in the air. So what he did is he pushed down on the seat as the plane was taking off. He was lifting his body bottom off the seat so that they wouldn't have the weight on the plane, so that it would just help the plane get up. Kind of stupid, isn't it? Well, I've heard of another person who, when they got on the plane, they did the same thing, except what they did is they started doing this. What are you doing? I'm trying to help the pilot get the plane off the ground. And it's ridiculous. But it's just as ridiculous for us to not trust God to work in our life, in our situations. So up here, what is the, the you're flapping about? What is it you're not trusting God with? What is it you're trying to help God with? We don't hold God up. He holds us up. So what is it in your situation? Well, name it. Lord, I'm struggling with this. I'd like this situation, whatever it is, if it's a, a difficulty or a struggle point for you, turn to him. Resign as a general manager of your life and of the universe and hand it back to God. He's the one who is in control. Learn to put God first. Turn to him. Can you see the turn? Oh, you can. I can't at the back. 
Turn to God first, always. You know what's going to happen this week for some of you? Something difficult is going to happen. There's going to be a crisis. There's going to be a painful experience will come your way. God will test you. Have you learnt these lessons? Because that's what God does. It's never his will to run away from a bad situation, unless there's physical harm or something like that. But normally he wants us to grow through it. Turn to God first. Talk to God. Are you not the God who rules over all the nations of the world? Nothing is impossible for you. Did you not act in my life and give me promises? Will you not? Will you please do something in this situation, whatever it is that you would like him to do? And then trust. He'll respond. Trust his word. Trust what he says to you and obey it. And then thank God, both before and after. That's what these guys did. Because of the promises that he had, they could genuinely thank God first because he said, it's not our fight, it's his, and thank you, Lord. And they praised God beforehand. And then you give thanks after the event as well. You honour and um, praise him. Two last points. God used this crisis to bless his people. In this case, certainly, you know, financially and with all of the, the loot they got from the soldiers. God will use the crisis in your life to bless you as well. He'll grow you, he'll stretch you, he'll provide for you. He'll reveal part of his character to you that you may not have experienced any other way. And God will use that crisis or that situation to inform others that he is in control. Went and got my hair cut the other day. Looks pretty good, doesn't it? Oh, all right, don't say so. Guy's cutting my hair, we're talking. He says, uh, what are you doing this weekend? This was Friday. So I had lunch with Pastor David at Carindale. What are you doing this weekend? Oh, nothing, just a quiet weekend. Day of prayer, Saturday. Church on Sunday. Members meeting on Sunday. No, no, just quiet. As soon as I didn't own up, I sort of went, oh, I missed an opportunity. All I had to do was say, I'm doing this and this and this. So I prayed and I said, Lord, do you want me to revisit that conversation and say, oh, by the way, I'm doing this? Next question he asked me, what do you do? <laughs> I don't know, I pastor a church. <laughs> Sorry? I pastor a church. Oh. And then we can, he started then sharing about some of his journeys from Maury and where he's at. It's interesting, isn't it? And I was reminded again, I often pray, Lord, open my eyes to see the opportunities. And I also ask, and give me the courage to take it. Yeah, that's a good thing to pray. So let's do that together let's pray heavenly father there's so much for us to learn and so much that you desire for us to know and to experience and most of all you want us to know you to love you and to trust you and to obey you lord help us to take from tonight from this story of jehoshaphat this incredible story to take the parts or the lessons that you want us to incorporate into our life Can you help us to keep thinking about it until it becomes clear what aspect of this we need to adapt into our life? And Lord, thank you that you're patient with us and you're committed that we are going to become more and more like the Lord Jesus. Lord, we want to cooperate in that process. Um, And I pray you'll forgive us for the times like I did where we chicken out or 
but we don't take the opportunity. Um, and Lord, like you did with me too, give me another opportunity and then the courage to do what will please and honour you because you have a heart for lost people and you want them to hear and to know through us that there is a God in heaven. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.